Here at Bethany, there's a tradition of annually looking at artwork in the chapel. Historically, uh, Professor Bill Bukowski would talk about uh, the triptych in front of us to help understand what's before us every day. And so I'm honored to pick up this tradition and talk a little bit about some of the, the beautiful additions that we have to our worship space. It's been said that an artist can't speak about their artwork any more than a bird can speak about ornithology. A bird can't talk about the study of birds, according to this idea. I don't know about that. Uh, if we think about going to a museum, sometimes we think that's where we find artwork. Think about a museum kind of like going to a zoo. You see things sort of isolated, they're separate from one another, and you visit. We have a different kind of experience here. We live with artwork. A painting like this, or the sculptures, or the stained glass, are constantly present in our life. As we come back to chapel day after day, year after year, maybe even generations return, the same things greet us. The same things send a generous invitation for us to see them fresh, to see them new. I would compare that to the way the liturgy operates. Generation after generation, the liturgy waits for us to see its greatness, to see its stability, the way that it's always there for us. It's always offering itself. Let's look at stained glass. Draw your attention to either side. I'm going to wander a little bit. And we have stained glass off our left shoulder and our right shoulder. Notice that they're not made the same. I don't know if you've taken the time to look. On this side, we see symbols. I'm looking over at the wall. We see symbols set into rectangles of glass. The glass has tendencies. It changes colors from top to bottom. And over on this side, we don't have symbols. The glass tends to change from top to bottom in a similar way. And also, these windows are slanted. If you're facing front, you don't really see these windows very well. Depending on the weather, the windows pour light into this room. This room changes. It transforms as the weather changes. These pillars, which our brain might think they're just white tiles, they're receptors. They're accepting that light, that colored light, and actually, depending on where you are, as you move left to right, as the weather changes, the pillars actually change optically. Their nature doesn't change, but the optics change. And your experience, you're offered a different experience all the time. This is low-level uh, thinking. It's not necessarily symbolic. It's just a gift, something that's made for you, for beauty. Take a look at the left and the right of the front of the sanctuary, the, um, the stained glass windows that we see facing you directly. I think these are far more interesting than the windows on either side of us because there's ambiguity. These windows uh, that I, I started talking about, this is like a vocabulary test. Symbol, symbol, symbol. Yes, we know what these things are. This equals this. But if we look at the front, 
things start to blend. Things start to wash into one another. There's kind of a symmetry, but it's not quite symmetrical. If you compare left and right, we see parts of a face at the top, an old-looking man, God the Father, as a, an embodied symbol. And that beard, that mustache, kind of flows into the sky. And maybe we see wings. Maybe it's beard. Maybe it's wings. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I like that it's not absolutely specific. Because you might be looking at people of the Trinity. You might be looking at a landscape. Are we looking at the sky? Are we looking at people of the Trinity that are separate and yet joined. They flow into one another. We see hands pouring water towards the bottom on each side. Jesus says, whoever, whoever has the water from me will never go thirsty. The water of life encircles us as a congregation. It embraces us just as our baptism guards us and communicates God's love for us. And so this is, uh, these windows kind of give us a sense of uh, the namesake of our chapel. This is Trinity Chapel. And the nature of the Trinity is somewhat mysterious, and these windows don't give us easy answers. There's something wonderful about the mystery that the windows show us. We see uh, symbols of the Trinity, three circles that... Um, that intertwine, but you notice up here, they, they sort of melt into the clouds, into the background. The symbol of the Trinity isn't quite the Trinity. Any symbol isn't quite uh, exactly a description of God's nature. Let's look up here. This is kind of the main event. You walk in and it's obvious, center, front, this is what you're supposed to look at, what you're supposed to notice. And over the years, uh, Bill Bukowski's been telling this congregation, this community, about uh, some background, some symbols, and you might have some background knowledge about this piece. Even if you don't, I'm telling you, you're authorized to notice things about it. You're authorized to look and wonder and you might know some things, you might know almost nothing about it. It doesn't matter. It's an invitation for you to contemplate. It's an invitation for your faith to, to wonder and maybe to gain a gift. It's a gift for you, for this community. It's a gift given by a previous generation, almost. Um, decision makers, leadership, the artist, um, there's been a turnover on campus. And, and so, one generation projects this out to you. And, and this artwork will continue to speak to future generations. There's an interesting silent continuity that happens with liturgical artwork. It sits here and it waits for you. And you can sure ignore it. You can sure ignore anything around you but the invitation stands. Let's look closer. This is a, a brief life of Christ. Reading from left to right, we see chronological order. 
Jesus appears in each of these panels as an infant on the cross and after his resurrection. You can look at artwork and, and think about symbols. You can put on this lens and think, okay, I can identify that thing and that thing and that means uh, this thing. For example, uh, this little still life in the foreground of the left panel, there's a hammer. Well, that's Joseph's hammer. Joseph's a carpenter. And that tells us something about Joseph. Joseph shown at the, the top of the group here. Or for example, there's a skull in the center at the base of the cross. Legend, tradition, throughout generations, throughout centuries, has supposed that maybe, just maybe, the site of Jesus' crucifixion, maybe, is the place where Adam died, historically. Whether that's true or not is not the point. The point is that maybe it's a good symbol. It's a good reminder for us. And so you'll often see a skull at the base of a crucifixion in medieval or Renaissance artwork because it's a comparison between the old man and the new man. Jesus solved that problem right then and there. And the skull represents death, the old man, the old Adam. So we're looking at symbols. We're seeing objects that might have a meaning behind them. That's one way to look at artwork. There are other ways. For example, uh, you could think about composition. What does it mean that in the center, the figure of Jesus is essentially uh, symmetrical, and much of the rest of the piece is not? Jesus presents in the center panel a stable, somber pose. He's stability. The composition elevates him between heaven and earth. The cross connects to earth, but he's kind of in the sky. And he's this bridge, this connection. He fixes that too. Fixes what was broken at the fall of Adam and Eve. Um, if you look at uh, any of these panels, you can think about perspective. Where is the eye of the viewer compared to the thing that it's viewing? Well, it depends on where you're viewing. We look up at the tops of the paintings. We're looking up at those figures. We look down at the bottoms of the paintings. And so this decision from the artist to, to put your eye level kind of centered so we look up at Joseph's face, we look down at the apple and the lantern. This is a, an attempt, it's an invitation to, to draw you in, to make you part of the action, to make you feel like a participant, an invitation to, an invitation to participate in this event. Another way we could think is uh, pure delight. And maybe you don't feel authorized sometimes to just enjoy a painting like this, but look at surprising colors in this painting. Sunrise on the left, sunset on the right. Think how much of these canvases are taken up by sky. What percentage is sky? Quite a bit. 
And that's not to be ignored. The artist certainly did, did not ignore it. The artist is a landscape painter. There's a good deal of landscape happening here, and, and that's given for your delight, for your joy. There are surprising colors to be found in here. You might think grass is green, but I see purple and orange and teal. And look at how the light source on this side, this sort of orange light around the rims of the rocks, um, suggests that the light comes from Jesus himself, that he is the light source. There are surprising things to find. And sometimes I think when, when we feel like we know a thing, we stop exploring that thing. Another way that you could maybe surprise yourself is looking at flesh tones. You might think, okay, well, get the peach crayon. You know, coloring book thinking. But, um, but Bill Bukowski likes to surprise people. And so if you look at um, feet, legs here, I'm seeing greens, grays, orange. You might be surprised at what you find just by looking. And my point is that there's always more to find. Even though this thing is always here, and you might think, well, I know that. Or the stained glass is always here. And you might just feel like you've got it. When you sit, you have this opportunity to gain more, to accept the invitation. There's always more to explore. I'd like to read a somewhat obscure piece of scripture from the book of Exodus. And this is a, this is a, uh, a comfort for me as an artist, for my vocation. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has chosen him. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him, that is Bezalel, and Oholiab, son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. From the book of Exodus, there is this endorsement of creative work. You might not be, you might not think of yourself as a creative person. Um, it's been said that a full one-third of all the, all the jobs in the United States require creativity, though. And your vocation may require you to invent. It may require you to have surprising solutions, surprising ideas. And while we have, uh, we have this beautiful space, worship can help you in that way. Worship offers this gift for you to see things that may seem familiar, like law and gospel, may seem familiar, and yet a pastor needs to preach them in a fresh way every time, to deliver them freshly. 
Artwork does the same. From generation to generation, it continues to preach the creative vocation, God's grace, and God's favor.